Welcome to the Pet Project Podcast with Sarah, the creator of PetProjectBlog.com. This is your weekly dose of news, views, and activities to help you strengthen the human-animal bond. I'm Steve, producer of the show. On today's podcast, Sarah explains how to help neutralize the allergens created by our cats. But first, let's hear a recap of the posts from last week on Pet Project. I did another post on um, traveling safely with your pets, especially your dog. And it's a top 10 list of reasons to buckle up your dog. This has been in the news a lot more recently because there have been some accidents that have been attributed to people driving with their dogs loose in their car. People concerned with public safety are looking at um, enacting buckle-up laws for your pets, just like we have seatbelt laws for people. These are the top three reasons that I find most compelling. One is it is amazing how dangerous a projectile your dog becomes at even a low-speed collision. So at 30 miles per hour, a 60-pound dog can cause the impact of 2,500 pounds. And that's enough that, you know, you could break your neck if it slammed into the back of your head. In those crash test videos that I posted last week, there's one of, I don't even think it's a 60-pound dog dummy, hitting the corner of the headrest of the person in the front seat, in the driver's seat, and it completely buckles under the weight because that's not really what the the headrest is made for. It's made for a backwards motion from your own head. There's, it's just not going to hold up to, you know, a dog flying out from the back of your car into the back of your head. I think it's pretty rare for people to not be buckling up their children anymore. And I think that the same kind of guidelines should be going towards your pets. That's the first one that I find really compelling. The other thing that buckling up a dog that really helped us was Saffron was really stressed about being in the car and would sometimes get motion sickness because she was spending so much energy trying to keep herself steady because she was nervous and and unsteady. And we tried a lot of different things with transporting her in our car. We tried it in a crate. We tried it with her in the back of our car, tried it with her loose. None of those things really helped. And it wasn't until we buckled her up in her car harness that she stopped having any car sickness and was a lot less stressed about the trip. So if your dog is, you know, puking a lot when you're in the car, this could be a good way to get that to stop because they just, they're not constantly trying to keep their balance which I also would think would be exhausting. And then the third thing that I think a lot of people don't think about, but since I'm like worst case scenario person, of course, it's one of the things that I think about. And that is that if you are in an accident, your dog is very likely going to try to protect you and they won't let anybody approach They don't know the difference between, you know, a good person and a bad person when their, you know, anxiety and stress levels are so heightened and any stranger is going to be someone they're going to want to keep away from you. So that includes policemen, that includes aid workers, and they're not going to, you know, just let your dog sit there and bark while you're bleeding out. They're going to get rid of your dog and the way they're going to get rid of your dog is they're going to shoot it. 
they're not going to wait for, you know, animal control to come show up. So the, you know, the final reason that I think you should keep your dog secure in your car is in the event that there's an accident, you don't want the cops to shoot your dog. And also if there's an accident, you don't want your dog running loose. And that has happened a number of times just in our area where there's been a car accident and the dogs, you know, survived the crash, but fled the scene. And you've got the whole trauma of people injured, possibly people dead, and they've lost their pets. And there have been some specific incidences of that in the news in the Pacific Northwest just in the last couple of years, where people were desperate to find, you know, their dogs because a family got wiped out. You know, and this was like the last bit of the family that they had and were really trying to find the dogs happily. I believe that they did, but you just don't want, you don't want to survive an accident and have your dog get run run over by a car. So it's real simple to do. Buckle up your dog. And next week I will be doing a post on our absolute favorite harness, which is so much better than any other one that I've seen. I'm not connected to them in any way. I don't have any, you know, stock or anything like that, but they're hands down my favorite. As a videographer and an audio producer, I really like the Friday Fun this week. Tell us about that. It's this guy. His YouTube name is Enora Muski, I think. And he is so talented at putting like the soundtracks from movies to YouTube videos. And he definitely seems to be doing it more for pets. And they're hysterical. He's just done an excellent job of timing the music with what is going on on the screen and this kitten is the biggest fruit loop he's scared of something very very scared of this dangerous dangerous tennis ball (laughs) and he's he's just a hoot and the music is amazing just perfectly done and it's i think it's a from the movie aliens yeah so he takes like actual soundtrack music and then does looping and all of this stuff to get this great ultimate video at the end and he's nice enough to do um, at least one how-to video so if you're interested in seeing how he does it you can see him manipulating the sound on one of those like where you see the levels and stuff in a recording you can see that along with the video that he's working with and it's it's pretty good and it's a fun video i mean kittens you just can't go wrong with kittens they're such goofballs and it's really fun to watch them play because i mean he's he's definitely pretending in it because he can't be that scared of the tennis ball. <laughs> yeah, it's the most non-threatening in- inanimate object. There's no wind. There's nothing going yeah. on that's making it move even just a little bit. Right. Besides his own claw when he sort of yeah. bats at it. But yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's some <laughs> there's a vivid imagination behind that kitty. Totally, which is so fun to see. So yeah, that was the Friday fun. Great, thanks, Sarah. Welcome. A couple podcasts ago, we talked about how you can save money, right? Especially t- in taking your dog to the vet. Mm-hmm. I understand you had a experience where someone you knew yeah. was able to save money based on uh, your recommendations, right? Yeah, I have a couple of additions to the whole 
saving money at the vet and with the medical care of your animals. The first thing, and this was really neat to hear, somebody heard about how I had asked to try and save money when we had Saffron's tooth extracted and the whole thing about the antibiotics being the ones that they normally gave were really, really expensive antibiotics, broad spectrum for people, and that there was a less expensive option um, that was you know, for dogs and was a traditional antibiotic. And actually, Saffron ended up not needing any antibiotics, so we saved completely on that. In this case, this woman has an elderly dog who really needed to have its teeth cleaned. And this woman is already spending a lot of money on getting uh, regular treatments for chronic illness that this dog has. Also, the dog is elderly, and the risk of putting the dog under anesthesia is greater. So she really didn't want to do that. And also, it was way expensive to have the dog under anesthetic for the tooth cleaning. So she talked to the vet and pointed out that her dog is incredibly docile and, and sweet. And they decided to try and do a tooth cleaning without putting the dog under and it was successful and dirt cheap compared to what it would have been because basically the expense is the anesthetic. And so they were able to clean the dog's teeth for way less and without any risk to her health. So really gratifying to hear that somebody found that useful and that she never would have thought to ask if she hadn't heard about my asking the same question. The other thing that I wanted to tell people was that this was something that I had to learn the hard way. I had mentioned that our cat Sage is diabetic and there was the whole question of how to dispose of the used needles. And I had just assumed that I needed to buy one of those official sharps boxes that you get at a pharmacy and that you see in like hospital rooms and that sort of thing. So I bought one when I first started giving her her injections and they are not cheap. And they're really small, and they hardly hold anything. And I thought, this is crazy. We're going to be spending all of this money on a plastic box every two months. And I went online and was looking for solutions and found out that it is acceptable, at least in our area, and you should check with your own municipal codes, that if you take a two-liter soda bottle, take the label off. You can put your syringes in that and seal them up and dispose of them at um, an acceptable place. There are certain locations where that will accept needles. You're not supposed to put them in the regular trash for obvious reasons. So that's a big way to save money. And then the last thing my cousin told me about. She has a dog who is going to have to have an operation and it's not an inexpensive one. And one of the ways that she's looking at trying to save some money is she's actually getting three quotes from different vets on the cost of the operation. So that's another idea on ways to save money when you're faced with uh, vet bills. If we have any listeners who want to give feedback or give stories about how they took your advice mm -hmm. and benefited from it, yeah. what email address can they send it to? They can send it to info at petprojectblog.com. And that'd be great. I would love to hear other ideas because everybody needs to save as much as they can. And the more you save, the better care you can give your pets. Now, just to shift gears. Mm -hmm. Spring is here. Right. 
And the hair starts coming off your dog and cat. No kidding. <laughs> your cats especially yeah. shed like maniacs. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people have allergies. Yes. And that bugs them. I know my hay fever is acting up, but people with pet allergies, must. this must be the worst time of the year for yeah. them. Eric, Eric is al- my husband, is allergic to cats and dogs. Technically, I'm allergic to cats and dogs, but I don't care. It's not easy. Yeah. And they're all exploding. We have like dust bunnies like crazy. And I've been brushing the dog in the backyard and watched it going up like a cyclone in our yard when the wind caught it. So yeah. What are some ways that you can cope with all that fur and hair and Mm -hmm. dander in the air when you have allergies? There are a number of things that you can do. And I would advise people to listen to their allergist, their asthma doctor, definitely. But, you know, I ran these things past our allergy doctor. I actually have uh, moderate asthma. And when I talked to my doctor about what steps we took, she was delighted. And I think that more doctors are understanding the benefit that pets have. And they're willing to work with you on making them fit into your lives. Are some not willing? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in some cases, I think that people may just be so allergic or so chronically ill that it isn't a good idea. But there are some doctors who really don't want to treat you if you insist on having cats. Personally, I wouldn't see a doctor like that, but there you go. Um, <laughs> so you can do some stuff to mediate the impact that your cats have. The first thing that you can do is have short-haired cats, if possible. They're just so much easier to take care of. Their fur is shorter. They're easier to comb everything. The first thing I would suggest is trimming your cat's claws before you start doing anything so that when they protest, they don't eviscerate you in the process. You want to groom your cats regularly, and that means combing, brushing. I really like using a long-toothed metal comb. I have one that is finer on one end and more widely spaced uh, tines on the other end, and it's great for getting all the way through the cat's fur, through their undercoat. And the other thing that I absolutely love, and I think everyone, if you can get one, should have is a Furminator, which I've done a post on that, actually. This is an amazing tool. I love the name. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Eric thinks it should be called a defurbulator. Um, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's a really great tool. Tell me about it. Well, it's this really finely toothed rake sort of thing. And it goes through the cat's coat, and what it does is it takes out the loose fur. It doesn't pull the fur out or anything like that, and it gets out so much fur, you would think that your cat was bald after you looked at the pile that you have. It's just amazing. So doing that sort of thing, grooming your cat, also helps them coping with um, hairballs. So your cat's going to be happier that way, too. All of this is in preparation for giving your cat a bath. What? (laughs) Is that a good idea at all? Yes. Yes, it is. If you have allergies, this is the biggest way to make it easier for you to live with cats. There just isn't any other way to get them as clean. Some people believe that cats should never be given baths, right? Yeah. People used to think that if you got a cat wet, it would get distemper and stuff like that. I don't know where that's coming from. 
I don't know. Right. Like tigers, old wives' tale sort of thing. Tigers yeah. love the water. Right. And all kinds of big, yeah. big cats. Yeah. And they... some cats love the water. Like there's the video of that cat who just keeps putting his head under. I'll link to that because he's a That is hilarious. I love that video. I know. Everyone should stop what they're doing right now. Yeah. Put the podcast on pause and yeah. go watch that. Yeah. The, the cat is so content just to put his head under yep. running water. Yeah. And, and, and they're... Turkish van is a breed of cat that swims. And there are cats that just love water. They're cats, just like mixed breed cats that will get in the shower with their people to be in there with the water. This is also something, like I've said before, where if you start early, you're going to have a lot easier time. But I really do believe that with two people, you can wash just about any cat. A big part is to not be afraid you know, believe that you can do this. And the second part is to hold on to their steering wheel, which I will elaborate on in a minute. Okay. So you've combed your cat out. You've got any mats out because you don't want to wash them. If they've got any mats, it's just going to be a nightmare. We do it in the kitchen sink because it's at a good height and we can both stand at the kitchen sink. Eric and I do it together. Put a strainer down there to catch the hair because you don't want to make giant hairballs in your pipes. Some cats don't like the feeling of not having good traction on under their feet. So you can get a dish towel, wet it down, and put it in the, the bottom of the sink. And you're not going to have water standing in the sink. It's an empty sink. We fill up water pitchers and basically any kind of vessel that we can put water in ahead of time with slightly warmer than our body temperature water. I've found that it's just not a good idea to turn on the faucet when you've got a cat in the sink. The sound, everything just scares the bejesus out of them. And so we fill all the pitchers up with water ahead of time. You want to use a mild cat shampoo. So I look for something that doesn't have detergents in it. So like no phosphate sort of stuff. This is the sort of thing where you're you're probably going to want to go to a non-chain pet supply store to find a good mild shampoo. And I gave this suggestion in a previous um, podcast that if you buy in bulk, if you buy a large bottle, you're going to save money most of the time. So once you find a, a brand of shampoo that you like, see if you can find a bigger bottle if you, to save money because these tend to be more expensive shampoos. The other thing you want to have on hand is uh, plenty of clean, dry towels. And we also turn the heat up in our house. You could heat up one room, give them a sunny place for after they have their bath. We also have heating pads that the cats like to hang out on after they've had a bath. So once you have all those things, you're ready to go. You put your cat in the empty sink. And here's where I talk about the steering wheel. I think you can control pretty much any cat if you hold them this way. I mean, some of them are just so insane that you might not be able to. My parents have a cat who, she's a little nutty and she's a little hard to control. But I also think that fear is a big reason why we can't give our cats baths if if you have that kind of problem. Your own fear. Yeah, your own fear. Your fear that your cat is going to hurt you. Basically, if I have just accepted that I'm going to get scratched, we have a successful whatever we're trying to do trim the cat's claws, pill them, whatever. If I just go, okay, you know, I might get hurt. No big deal. You're like a beekeeper. 
yeah, yeah, you know, this might hurt a little. <laughs> totally. I'm to get some nice honey out of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm going to have a clean cat. So what you do is you have your cat standing in the sink, and you take one hand, and you put it through their front legs. So you've got your fingers pointing towards their chin, and you're going to have your first three fingers through their legs. You're going to have your pinky on the outside of one leg and your thumb on the outside of the other. And that's where their steering wheel is. That's where all of their direction comes from. They can push with their back feet like crazy, but if you're controlling the front end of them, they can't do anything. And our cat Raven, she's a smart little cookie. She goes backwards. She still can't do anything because you're coming from behind and she can back up all she wants, but you still have control of her because you've got your, your fingers hooked on the backs of her front legs. And you, you kind of curl your uh, three fingers up in front of their chest. So they're, it's almost like you're using a harness with your hand. So if you've got one person doing that, the other person is free to wash the cat, which is what you're going to do next. So what we do is we get a big glass and we avoid using any actual glass in case there's an accident. We use plastic. We've already filled it up with some warm water. You put some um, shampoo in there, just maybe a tablespoon, teaspoon, depending on the shampoo. And you're just going to be using this as a wetting agent to start washing the cat. So you pour that over the cat. You don't, we avoid the head. Just then you never get shampoo in their eyes. You don't have to really worry about this sort of thing. You don't want to get water in their ears. Then you pour a little bit of water on them, and you're just kind of working that solution into their fur. So then you put the shampoo on them. You want to start out with less. You can always add more, but you can't take it away once you've really soaked up your cat and turned it into a giant foam ball. We add a little water through there, and you want to work it into their fur. We're careful not to rub against the way the fur grows because it seems to be really uncomfortable for them. Then you want to rinse them, and you want to do this really well. You start at the head. You go down their back. Be really careful not to get in their eyes and in their ears. Work your way down the shoulders, down to their haunches, then their tail. Then we go back to the chest. We do their underside, which is a little tricky. We have a couple of techniques. One of us will cup our hand under them, and the other one will pour the water into your hand so that it kind of funnels down there. We also sometimes stand the cat up more on its back legs. And we're doing all of this gently. We're not like emptying a bucket on the cat. You know, that's just not going to work. Use some common sense. We do their legs, their feet, and we make sure that their toes, between their toes, is soap-free because it's really sensitive skin and you don't want to have them biting their toes or itching and everything. Rinse more than you think you have to, just to make sure that you get everything out of their fur. And then what we do is we squeegee them gently. Uh, We just kind of run our hands down them a little bit. That gets a lot of the water off of them. We gently squeegee their tail. Don't pull, you know, because your hand is going to catch their fur and that hurts. You just want this to be pain-free, and it can be. Then we pick the cat up in a towel, and we're kind of holding them on their back like a baby. That gets a ton of water out of their fur. And then the other person comes along and is rubbing their tummy, drying their feet and their legs and their tail. And 
you know, just be kind of gentle. Don't, you know, squeeze their feet really hard or anything like that. And we gently squeeze their tail to get the water out of that because that seems to really irritate them when it's all wet and the fur is packed down. When the cat's wet, we move it to another towel and repeat that. And then we stick the cat in a warm place and kind of, with our cats, leave them alone. They don't really want to see us after this. So we have a sunny room that they'll be in. They also get on the heating pads. And then I'll go back and check on them. When their fur is mostly dry, I'll get that comb that has the metal teeth. And with the section where the teeth are further apart, I start running the comb through their fur to make sure that things aren't tangling up. If it goes through the fur pretty smoothly, then I'll comb them out just to make sure that they're not going to get any mats and to separate the fur so that it'll dry faster. If it tugs, then I wait a little while longer Mm -hmm. because I think it just really hurts them to have their fur pulled. The better experience they have when you do this, the easier it'll be the next time. If it's a horrible traumatic thing, then it's going to be a nightmare the next time. That said, pretty much every time we give Sage a bath, she pees just because she can't believe this is happening to her and it's freaking her out. But she bounces back really quickly. You know, they get over it. Which part of this process do the cats like the least? Mm. Getting in the sink, getting wet wet the first time. Then they kind of get like resigned to what's happening to them, <laughs> maybe. And how do you know when it's time to give your cat a bath? You want to be careful not to do it too much because you'll strip the oils from their fur and everything. We kind of did it, I think, maybe every two months when we were really diligent about it. However much you do it, it's going to help. You know, so even if you do it every three months, every four months, it's better than nothing in terms of your allergies and the, the allergens that are going to be on your furniture and everything. I would err on the side of doing it less often just to protect the health of your cat's skin. The milder the shampoo, the more often you'll be able to do it. And you'll be able to tell if the shampoo is too harsh, if your cat's fur is like, if it feels stripped. The shampoo that we usually use, which I can't think of the name of, their fur doesn't feel stripped. It just feels clean. It doesn't feel like it's coated in spit or anything but it doesn't feel stripped or dry or or anything like that. It's just soft and normal feeling. And one of the things that you can do to increase the longevity of the benefits of the bath is just wipe your cat down with a warm, wet washcloth every now and then. That'll help, you know, get the saliva off their fur and everything. Some other things that you can do that don't involve the cat directly. We have rugs, a lot of rugs that we can take up and wash, and I do that fairly regularly. And we got a good vacuum cleaner. We got one that has a HEPA filter and the bag is really, it's like filtered to like to micron level sort of thing. Uh, We change the bag regularly because that makes a difference. And we change the filters that are in the vacuum cleaner um, regularly. And we got a vacuum cleaner that has an attachment for doing upholstery that has a beater brush in it like you have for the regular attachment for doing carpets. And that makes a big difference in getting the fur off of the furniture and also, you know, getting dander and stuff sucked out of the furniture. We also have a number of fairly good quality air filters. 
And in particular, we have one in our bedroom. That's a big place where you want to be sure that the allergens are at their their lowest level. One of the things that you can do in terms of that is you can keep your cats out of your bedroom. We don't because we found that they just really, really want to sleep with us. So we've come up with some options that help direct where they're going to be spending their time. So if you have cat stands, if you have appealing cat beds, if you have uh, the pet heating pads, those sorts of things will keep the cats off of your furniture and off of your bed. And so they'll be depositing fewer allergens on the place where you sleep or sit, that sort of thing. Uh, The other thing, make sure that you wash your bedspread, your comforter cover, your comforter regularly and in good hot water. So I get colors that I can wash in hot water so I don't get like bright red things. Do that regularly. Also, I really believe that feeding your cats a high quality food is going to improve the health of their skin and their fur and that they're less likely to have dander problems. They just have a healthier coat, and I think if they have a healthier coat, uh, you're going to have at least a little bit less of a problem. So invest in a good food. And the other thing that you can do for yourself is you can go see an allergist, and you can get the series of shots that they have traditionally done. But I also did a post uh, a few weeks ago about this new vaccine that they have where you can get, I think, like a one-time, maybe a booster vaccine for cat allergies. And I don't know that it's available yet, but it's really promising. Clearly, there's a market for it, so they're going to come out with it. It's a pretty exciting thing for people. So instead of having an ongoing series of allergy shots, you just get this one or two shots and you're good to go. Next week, Praising the Good. Why positive reinforcement is the most powerful tool for training your pet. If you'd like to learn more about the site, visit us on the web at petprojectblog.com and be sure that you get the podcast every week. Go to iTunes and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another installment of the Pet Project Podcast. <laughs>